Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. This meeting is being recorded. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Mental Health Check-In with Talik. I have a special guest here today, Ramani Mako. How are you doing, my brother? How are you doing? Oh, I'm I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. Thank you for asking. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Um, struggling, but I'm doing good. Um, I want to say thank you for saying yes to come on here and just talk about mental health. I know it's not an easy thing to talk about now, but you know, I want to say thank you. Oh no, definitely my pleasure. And and um, what do you mean you're struggling? Um, I just try. I'm just I'm just struggling mentally. You know, just been not at work. Just been trying to get my hair straight. Um, you know, trying to get myself back together. I'm slowly getting there, but you know, this is like the most I've like not went to work and just stayed home just to stay in my own head and everything. But oh wow, so so you you you've chosen not to go to work because yeah. you just felt like you needed to uh get some 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 clarity. Yeah, just get some clarity. Just make sure my, you know, my hair space is like sometimes I'm there, my energy may be off. So like I work with people. So I try to mm -hmm. just stay in my own bubble, try to get myself together. But I'm slowly getting there, you know, slowly getting there. What, what kind of work do you do? I work inside the post office. Okay. Yeah. And I, I guess. Not outside, not outside delivering mail, but inside. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. And, and I guess that just, I'm assuming that, uh, takes away from your uh, uh, time you sometimes need to prioritize for yourself? Or is it yeah. is it that you're just not happy with working there? It takes away time. I guess like my sleep schedule is thrown off. I wake up like two o'clock in the morning and got to be there four o'clock, you know, a.m. Yeah, so it's just like, it's, it's, sometimes it throws me off. Like I can't, like it's it's weird because like a lot of, I'm like, like I don't mind my friends. Heard the only one with that schedule, with that work schedule. Uh-huh. So, you know, like if I'm hanging out, I can't, if I choose to hang out with somebody, I can't hang out too late because I'm like worried in my head, like, okay, I got to be asleep at this certain time. I got to get enough sleep to wake up at this time. Most of the times I don't even get a full eight or four or six hours sometimes. But Shite. Yes. Wow. But let's get into this interview, man. I'm going to ask you this question. Well, I well, I want to say, I, I, I hope first, before we even get in anything else, I want to say, well, I hope that uh, your time off helps uh, you. Um, yeah, go back Sunday. Uh, you know, man. You know, you know. I I hope. I just hope that your uh your time off is is, is actually working. Yeah. Once we get into like later on the episode when I explain something, you'll understand why. You know, mm -hmm. when I get into the certain segment. But um, how's your mental health? That's my first question. I'm going to actually ask all my guests that question. How is your mental health? Um, you know, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, I think that my mental health is uh is 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 pretty good um and um i feel as though uh because of where i am in my life you know what i mean further along in my life having a two-year-old son um uh <clears throat> i've just it's it's amazing to see how much that child mirrors me and so it's just made me even more conscious about being on top of my mental health. And honestly, just because, you know, I do, I do the Tijuana Jackson stuff. Um, yeah. I talk to people <laughs> as a licensed therapist um, pretty much every day. Yeah. And um, 
yeah, when you talk to people, it gives you perspective. And I'm always reading and doing research because I want to be able to help. That's the whole point of it. And through the reading and research, you know, I learned different tools and things that I can incorporate into my own family um, dynamic to keep my mental health pretty sound. So thanks for asking. No problem. I like to ask that question because I feel like um, if I, you see somebody, you see somebody that you know, you'd be like, how are you doing? You know, we always say, I'm okay. But when you ask somebody, how's your mental health? That opens the door to a deeper question. You know, somebody to say, I'm doing, I'm okay, but I'm struggling mentally. You know, just like you did with me, how, is, how, how are you doing? And I went to like, mentally, I've been struggling. So when you ask somebody, how's your mental health? I feel like we need to ask that more often. I try to ask people that more often now. Instead mm-hmm. of doing, how's your mental health? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Of course. Um, you know, uh, everybody's a little, everybody seems to be uh, too busy. And I talk to a lot of people, you know, you know, as my character, Tijuana Jackson, you can see all that stuff on YouTube. And when I say I talk to a lot of people, I talk to a lot of people and for hours at a time. And um, what it seems as though is that most people, and I have the data to show it too, because um, we have a whole value assessment test that people do. Thousands of people do this value assessment test. Um, if you want to take the test, go to therapycenter.com. But the va- but the data shows that, like, when economic needs eclipse emotional needs, um, it usually becomes normalized because it's easy to justify. So what ends up happening is uh, the uh, the normalization of dysfunctional communication, the normalization of of uh, of disregarding one's emotions, the normalization of um, of, of of abuse. becomes part of the culture so people begin to like you talk to them you ask them how they're doing and what's going on when usually when i start a session how was your upbringing oh it was great this with that this that and by the end of the session they're having the realizations of how dysfunctional things were their mother used to get their cousin to beat them up when they were six years old because the mother wanted them to be tougher or you know uh they used to make out with their much older cousin and oh it's all kinds of craziness and my point just basically being is that I think that what ends up happening is those things hurt. And then you have these, uh, you know, you have uh, these neurological responses to those things when you're young and they feel uncomfortable. So you begin to devise these chemical cocktails and just neuron synapses, these pathways, and they kind of aid in helping you to cope. But then the problem is, is that it becomes so normal uh, because you spend 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life uh, living off of that survival mechanism or that survival personality that you don't even realize. You've completely forgotten that you're in pain. And then you're transferring a lot of that onto the people that are trying to love you and eventually onto your children. So I think that just generationally, it just becomes so normal within our society to uh, prioritize things like work ethic and productivity and completely disregard uh, your emotional well-being. So like, just to give you an example, I, I will say to my, my son will fall down and I'll say to him, hey, hey, you okay? And I hate it when I do that and I have to catch myself. And I'm like, the real question is, what happened? Yeah. 
Okay. And then the next question is, how do you feel? Because I want him, I don't want to tell him how he should feel. You okay? No, I want him to tell me how he actually feels. But more importantly, I want him to be comfortable thinking about how he feels and communicating how he feels. He's two, but it's an important exercise to start early. Yeah. And so that's just one example. And um, this is something that I had to learn because uh, my better half is a speech therapist for kids with special needs. Mm. And she does all kinds of research on child rearing. And these are the things that she's helped educate me on and passed on information to me to look at, for me to look at and learn from and books that we've read together. And so anyway, the, the, the point of this is that uh, I think asking how was your mental health is great. Yeah. However, I don't even think that most, at least most people that I talk to, yeah. um, and you can look at the therapy sessions on my channel and you'll see, aren't even aware that there is, that they have a mental health issue. In fact, I'm gonna go one step further. A large portion of the people that I talk to yeah. are neurodivergent, come from neurodivergent families and have never been diagnosed. That's true. I can believe that. I can definitely believe that. Yeah. Wow. Ooh, that was that was that was good. Um, my next question is something, something you said that goes into my next question though. Growing up, was it okay not to be okay for you? You know, uh, as a kid, uh, I was fortunate to have a voice in my household. And I think that that might have been a distinguishing factor between why I may have succeeded at certain things and my peers did not. Um, so there was a bit of confidence in my voice, in, in, in me expressing my, my feelings and whatnot. The problem was is that we didn't have uh, a, a, a household of people who knew how to communicate effectively. Yeah. And so if it were okay for me to not be okay, uh, I, I don't think that as a kid, I had the tools or the know-how to even distinguish um, uh, between a healthy approach to being okay, yeah. you know, so, and the dysfunction of not, or the uh, the lack of resolve in not being okay. I just know that at that impressionable time in my life, I was, uh, influential enough, I mean, in easily influenced to the degree of knowing or believing that I needed to become something other than what I was to be, to be okay. Yeah. Right. So you, 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 you develop a different personality. You try to get a different swag and you attempt to assimilate or become something that you think that will be more acceptable. <clears throat> and um, in the moments when you are dealing with family dysfunction, you know, you often uh, seek escapism or you uh, attempt to 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 block it out um, because you don't have the ability or the capacity to think in an abstract manner yet. It didn't really start kicking into you like eight, nine years old. So is it, was it okay uh, being not okay? Um, I would say that, at least in my opinion, uh, not being okay is a way of life and being able to identify that you're not okay is equally important and sitting with not being okay may be because of the fact that you've made choices and these may be the consequences of those choices and i think personally that that's okay when you're an adult <clears throat> when you're a child <clears throat> i think that you need coaching 
And I think you need to be made aware that you're not okay at times. And I think it's important to talk those things out because if you don't breathe those words and help explain the environment to the child um, or no one addresses it, which is very common, it gets just swept under the rug, then it becomes, um, you know, then the child begins to uh, question their own identity, question their own feelings, undermine their own, you know, uh, uh, undermine their own uh, intuitions. Yeah. And, and that's horrible. That was good. And people that's listening, there's like, I always say this in an episode, there's no right and wrong answer to that question. I always like to ask people, you know, because everybody grows up differently. So thank you for answering it. Um, and next question for you, there's a stigma, right, surrounding mental health, right? Well, there's a sti- also a stigma surrounding men's, um, Black men's mental health. What do you say to that stigma that says, you know, we can't be weak, we can't cry, we have to man up, we have to get over it? Like, what do you say to that stigma that's out there? Well, dude, you know, man, like I said, man, I like I said, my character, he's a lot of jokes, right? The Nerapy Center, Tijuana Jackson, you know, I, I, I'm so past that. Yeah. I have hundreds of therapy sessions that are easily two to three hours long. And I talk to a lot of men. I talk to a lot of women too, but a lot of men, black men. And um, they are talking about the fact that they came from an environment where, or were raised by people who uh, carried out those belief systems. But the Gen Xers that I talk to, the millennials that I talk to, who are predominantly who I talk to, they ain't really on that page. And, you know, or they're coming to me because they're like, yo, I'm stuck and what's up? And then I explain to them, I'm like, yeah, um, uh, uh, you've been you're, you're emotionally deprived. You know, yeah. I start explaining to them and stop, start spelling things out for them as we reflect on their childhood. And we, we talk about what they've been through um, from the age of birth to present day. And um, we start making correlations between practices, counterintuitive practices, self-sabotaging beliefs and practices, and the things that occurred at those times in their life. And you know what? It becomes an incredible wake-up call. And what we, as I talk to more and more people, what we all conclude is, this is something pretty interesting, which is that, again, economic, you know, emotional needs become, this is the point to wealth people think the point to wealth is so you can go wherever you want and buy whatever you want, do whatever you want. No, actually the point to wealth is so that you can create healthy environments in which you have the time and wherewithal to prioritize your emotions, to evaluate your emotions and to talk about your emotions and to develop communication skills. That's the point of wealth. And the reason that it's important is because that is actually what sustains wealth. Yeah. People talk about work ethic and I can, you know, and I'm, you know, and, and, and I, I hold down all these jobs and I'm starting this business and I'm investing. Hey, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. But the problem is, is that when you look at a couple of things, the, the common denominator for true wealth and success through what true wealth and fulfillment is emotional intelligence. And most of us are raised in environments, particularly us Gen Xers who are latchkey kids, are raised in environments where we are are so emotionally deprived, so emotionally neglected that we grew up not even realizing that emotions are part of, you know, part of it. We, we, when I talk, when I first, like the, the, within the first 10 minutes, people are like, oh, you know, my upbringing was cool. You know what I'm saying? My mom was hard on me and my dad did this, 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 this. And by the end of it, folks is in tears, grown ass men. And 
my daddy. And they realize how angry they are at the fact that their father wasn't present. Or yeah. if he were, if he was physical present, he wasn't emotionally present. Or how angry they are at the fact that their mother would zone out when their drunk father would start shooting up the house. Mom would just grab a book. You know, they were angry at the fact that their parents weren't able to protect them from certain things. Yeah. And they never expressed it. They never communicated. But it takes like me talking to them for an hour or two for them to be like, damn. And I'm like, my brother, this is what this is what we do here at the Nairobi Center, by the way, is we help people see how the most overlooked moments of your life are robbing you of your dreams. Yeah. And so you develop all these cognitive agreements with yourself and you don't even know where they came from. It's just an indoctrination from your upbringing. It's social engineering. It's 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 social constructionism. You don't even realize that it's happening. So by the time you 30, 35, 40, you and you hitting these glass, these glass ceilings, you running into these same roadblocks, you can't maintain a functional relationship or you you find yourself repeating patterns that you despised in your parents. <laughs> well, that's why. Because you never really developed any tools to address your emotional state. And it's through your emotional state that you give yourself choices. That was good. Appreciate it. That was good. That was. That hey man, was hey man, good. I'm not trying to blow no smoke. Like, yeah, like. That was good. I'm, I'm not trying to blow no smoke, man. Like I'm on this journey every friggin' day with people, with myself, with my relationship. You know, yeah. hey, check out my channel. Y'all gonna, y'all gonna, anybody who come to end up binging it, right? So anyway, thank you. Um, I want to say something. The stigma. I say I feel like it's stigma has got better you know like you said the younger people are like definitely speaking up i feel like it's got better and um we got more work to do even though it's got better but there's more work to do because you know a lot of suicide the rate of suicide and men yeah. uh, you know just people feel like they just don't have don't want to talk to they feel like they're going to get clowned if they feel like they being weak and stuff like that and people out there we just have to you know make sure we check in on everybody not you know make sure somebody checking on you because you never know what nobody's going through. You know, be kind to people. You just never know what battle they are dealing with. Well, it's true. It's true. Yeah. But I I, I want to, like, keep it a full buck and be like, the check-in is cool. Yeah. But most of us are emotionally unavailable because that's how we were raised. And so... Oh, that's good. <laughs> the key is to really... try to identify how and where you are emotionally absent, where the, where your emotional deficits lie. And I'll tell you why that's important. Because the minute you're able to identify an emotional deficit in yourself, it makes it easier to identify in other people. And through that, you can actually open up a window, open up the dialogue to where, one of, one of the reasons I do this character yeah, and I'm a grown ass man doing this damn character with teeth in my mouth, and is because I had a revelation when I was very young. Yeah, that when I spoke openly about my issues, my challenges, my insecurities, I actually unintentionally cracked open a door for everybody else to share theirs. Yeah, and it was actually through talking about it that we got better people didn't realize that you could talk about these things. Because like you said, they're ashamed, they're told, but once you're able to identify your own insecurities, your own, and take ownership of, because you really can't change until you accept who you are. Yeah. Acceptance gives you the 
acceptance of self gives you the launching pad for transformation. Yeah. And so most of us haven't even gotten around to genuine acceptance, right? What, what, what we're doing is uh, we are, it's, it's hilarious, but we are doing and being everything that we think that we're supposed to be for the sake of acceptance. And then we're taking it personally when people reject the personality that we've crafted. <laughs> and we're in relationships, raising kids, and we ourselves never show up to the relationship. Yes. The authentic us never shows up to the relationship. Um, because, well, we were raised in environments that touted individuality. We were raised in environments that didn't give us or demonstrate healthy communication uh, uh, examples. We were raised in environments where our parents came from uh, unfortunate circumstances as well. And again, you know, coming, understanding the heritage, particularly of Black America, and seeing how emotional needs eclipse, uh, how are eclipsed by economic needs, it's understandable. Yeah. So all of that to make the point that checking in is important. Yeah. But checking in with yourself is especially important because yeah. it's being able to identify the emotional deficit in you will help in giving someone else the permission to let go, to release, to, to use you as a sounding board because you'll actually be listening from a place of empathy, a relatable place of empathy. And yeah. that's what people want. They want to be heard. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, before we get into the next question, I want to, um, I'm going to answer it first and you can answer it next. I want to say anybody out there that's struggling, many thoughts of um, suicide or deep dark depression or suicide ideation, there is a suicide crisis number out there that you can dial. The number is 988. 988 is the number. If you are struggling, you could be, you can call them if you're bored, lonely, need someone to talk to. They are there. The 165 days they are there. Or um, every across the USA, there's an organization called NAMI. They have um, different chapters. I used to be a co-facilitator in NAMI Bus County, PA. They have free online support groups. It's not intended to replace therapy, but uh, being a part of that, being in a support group, you know, talking to people that understand mental conditions, issues, that understand what you're going through is amazing. So I will answer the question first, but me, you know, so as a child, all my viewers know, listeners know that as a child I was sexually abused by two of my male cousins. And um growing up, I didn't start dealing with that until I, I got like I'm 33 now, until I was like 26. Um um I realized I had issues like being around men. I felt uncomfortable around guys, and I didn't realize that until I went came went start going back to church. And it was like a lot of guys and people would tell me I was like a little standoffish and stuff like that. I felt comfortable around women. My grandma raised me and everything. You know, my mom and dad was on drugs as a child. I mean, I, as a child, when I was a child, they was on drugs. Um, my grandma raised me. So it was easy being around women and just like feeling comfortable. So I started dealing with that. And then 2019, I lost my mom to liver cancer. Then nine months oh, later, lost my sister after that so you know um suicide has been on my mind you know in the past as a child it's crazy that when you think about stuff that happened i remember as a child i was um, in somewhere in pa with my dad and his girlfriend i ran in the street and i was didn't realize it until now that it was suicide i got hit by a car i just wanted to run out there because of i guess the sexual abuse that i was high and then i was protecting people 
but I wasn't protecting myself. I didn't want to say nothing because I didn't want my grandma to beef with her sister. I didn't want to say nothing because one of the cousins, I know they was going to harm me. And then I was protecting it. My therapist, so he said, you was protecting everybody else but yourself. But yourself. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, I speak about it and I'm older, but I still like, like, when we talked in the beginning, I said I was struggling mentally. I still struggle mentally because sometimes, it, like, sexual abuse, sexual abuse, it, um, weighs on um your yeah, um, mental health it weighs on your um self-esteem i remember i had um columbus shirt on the podcast and he was talking about how he was molested by a female babysitter and stuff like that you know a lot of men don't talk well at first i thought a lot of men didn't talk about it but um this is organization um there's a book called echoes by this guy robert marshall is like different men telling their story in a book and I read that book that kind of changed my life to make me feel like dang I'm not alone you know it's other guys that have been through the same thing same thing I've been through that I could talk to like if I'm feeling this way if I'm feeling depressed or I'm just like stuck in something I could talk to one of them because they've been through it you know and everybody in it that you know sexual abuse world is on different type of journey sometimes you could be up sometimes you could be down but it's good to have people but you know I do this podcast sometimes I still struggle like last since my birthday I'm turning 33 in May 11th and it was Mother's Day so you know since Mother's Day I haven't been able to like recover mentally you know I just been down 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 you know when I show up to my podcast I'm not to turn it off I turn it on but um I was not a mental health professional or a doctor but I was doing shrooms you know and I went off on them during that time, during my birthday, and I haven't been able to get right back on. I need to get back on it because it was helping me. And I'll tell you, I had no suicidal thoughts. I was not depressed. <laughs> I was good, but I definitely need to get back on there. So that is my, you know, you know my little story of suicide and everything. No, oh, man. Um, uh, I'm, 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 first of all, just thank you for sharing that. And I think, um, I think it's courageous, man, to, to to talk about it, especially today, because uh, we're in this phase with with the manosphere, and there are these really stereotypical and and idealistic uh, definitions of masculinity floating around, and I think it's incredibly harmful. <clears throat> and I will say to you, my brother, that um. You have a prime example of someone who is using their pain uh, as a pathway to purpose. And um, honestly, man, I don't know if there's, you know, if there's, if, if there's a better, if there's a better job in the world, you know, so kudos to you for that. And um, in regards to the experience that you had, I don't know much about it, but I, I will say that, uh, you know, there's this book, there's this great book. Um, old book by uh, Terrence Real. He's a psychologist and he had dealt specifically with men and male depression. <laughs> and um, he had a client who had a similar experience where his brother, the client, his brother and his best friend had molested him as a child. And he just never really talked about it. And when he did get around to talking to talking about it, <clears throat> um, he like like you did, he had, it was able to help guide this person into a space of, of reparenting because there's so much more connected to it. And what I mean by that is, um, when I say so much more connected to it, I'm referring to um, who were the people that were supposed to protect you at the time? And uh, where were they? And why, why, why weren't they there? And um, 
and who were the people and where and where did they learn what they learned and <clears throat> what were uh what were the the major what were the what your primary caregivers primary concerns at that time because they should be you right and so all of these things lead to this sense of inadequacy and lead to you uh questioning your own worth and sometimes you having to build that up on your own right but um uh there's no real quick fix it's a lifelong journey you know and so you know you having thoughts of 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 taking your life and people who are out there having thoughts of taking their own life um you know i i will just say that it is it is where you are now yeah. but it isn't necessarily where you will be and um the more that you begin to understand how and why hurt people hurt people and why they're often still in pain the easier it is you are you are it is for you to have empathy with those people you know yeah. um i i was trying to encourage people to kind of like investigate the the upbringing of their parents because or the people that have hurt them because often you know you, you forget that those people were toddlers too yeah two years old possibly clinging to their abusers for comfort you know and when you see the people as that you begin to understand where the road began, you know? But um, you, my brother, uh, how you've managed to channel so much of that pain and disappointment uh, into something as productive as this podcast and the work that you've done, the voluntary work that you've done, all the people that you've helped. Uh, yeah, we need you around, dog. <laughs> we need you in the mix, big time. We need you in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you for your service, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But have you dealt with any thoughts of suicide before? No? You know, I think that when I was really, really young, I may have, um, when I was like seven, eight, nine, I had just, just living in such a dysfunctional environment, being the oldest in the household and my dad being a substance abuser at the time and my mom not being, you know, you know, mentally stable, just... I, it just felt like a lot having a younger brother. It just felt like a lot. But um, uh, since then, honestly, no. And one of the biggest challenges for me has been like uh, having a, so much, having like overbearing negative internal dialogue. <laughs> like I, I can't tell you. Like I was going crazy. Like, who is this in there talking? And um, I remember going to my first therapy session. It was a horrible therapist. It was not the therapist for me. And I decided, okay, maybe that one was the first one. I wasn't really ready. I went back a second time. And I was like, I'm never going back to that therapist. I just started looking for another therapist instantly. But those two experiences helped me realize that I could sit across from someone professional yeah. who could possibly listen objectively without judgment. And it was such a liberating experience yes. or it was such a liberating revelation, I should say, that it made because, it, you know, it, because in my therapy sessions, my therapist did all the talking. It's like she needed me to be her therapist of those two sessions. But all of that to make the point that I had the revelation that 
there was a possibility to find a good therapist and be able to speak to someone objectively. And it eliminated 40% of the, inter the negative internal dialogue almost instantly, almost instantly. And so again, one of the reasons I do what I do is because I love giving people the freedom to talk about the things that they've, that they've just overlooked and buried out of shame or lack of awareness or mental blocks that have been put up for the sake of survival, giving them a, re you know, and being able to hear them talk about it without judgment. I love that. Yeah. Um, therapy is a must, right? I was doing um, EMDR therapy. And That's good. I, yeah, I actually got done it. I've actually done like two months ago, but I actually need to find a therapist. And, like, and I've been through that situation where I had a therapist. I feel like they didn't care. It was boring. It just didn't do nothing for me. And then I went to the next one. And I want to say people out there that's trying to get into therapy, you know, you may not find that right therapist on the first or third or fourth try, you know, keep trying. Like you said that you somebody else, you know, me specifically, I wanted to have a male therapist because I have issues with male. I don't trust men. I want to have a male therapist. I also want to have a person of color therapist because like mm -hmm. as a black man, you know, who can understand that than a, a male black therapist. But um, anybody out there struggling, please, again, please dial. 988 the suicide prevention crisis number is out there easy number to dial guys Nine, i dialed them myself before they are definitely there 365 days no days off they are there so please please make sure y'all guys dial that number no doubt um i am i was just looking at the statistics of like mass murders in america yeah and then it kind of led into like homicides and whatnot. And it was staggering to realize that like 50, almost 50% of the deaths were of the, of the if, let's say, I'm just making up a number here, but let's say there were 51,000 deaths. Almost half of them were suicide. Were, were, were people taking their own lives? And I was not aware. Yeah, man. Yeah, it, it breaks my heart. Like, especially like suicide, it breaks my heart, even though I struggle with it. When I see people just like, especially men, you know, it breaks my heart that we don't like some people feel like they don't have no one to talk to. You know, that's why I like I do this podcast. Um, like when I was part of NAMI, I stopped doing it just to for my own mental health. I just needed a break because of work. Yeah. The time I wake up in the morning, I just needed a break and stuff like that. But um, you know, I had help start a men's group, you know, we had a grief group, you know, it's all different type of groups that grief we had. group is great. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, we had a peer group, anxiety, depression. That was like more of a popular one. A Black Minds Matter group that I was a facilitator for. You right. know, color just being in one group, just you know, talking. So yeah. No, no, definitely. I mean, that's why I do what I do, man. Look, I don't know if, if y'all know I'm saying something to do. Listen, listen. Yes, I'm an actor. I do a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I love that job. But the job that I love more is playing this character named Tijuana Jackson. We have something called the Nerapi Center. And what the therapy center does is we just allow people to take a value assessment test. It's 50 questions that for those 50 questions will change their lives. And then they can then go from there and schedule uh, uh, a therapy session with Tijuana Jackson. And I like to think of it as like the gateway to therapy, because yeah. what I do is I talk to them about things and help them identify how all these overlooked moments in their lives may be actually playing a major role in the dysfunction they're experiencing in their adult lives. And or in their current lives. And man, let me tell you something, nothing is more fulfilling than that, you know, and helping people find, well, sometimes I'm talking to people who are autistic and helping them find support groups, 
like the ones that you that you've helped put together, like the ones that you're talking about, helping them, helping them identify yeah. uh, and 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 pool re pooling resources that actually end up making a difference in their life. Ain't nothing more satisfying than that, bro. So. Yes, I get it. I get what you're doing, and I do understand needing to take the break from it for your own yeah. sake because it can be a bit, it can be a bit heavy. But man, um, you know, again, you being able to incorporate, uh, yeah, your your experiences into these beautiful endeavors that help people um, become healthier and more confident in their own journeys bro bro I want, does anything feel better what you mean any, like doesn't it feel amazing it feels amazing when i do my podcast it don't matter like if i'm depressed or whatever when i do this podcast I, it makes me feel good to just have a conversation talk about mental health you know just to yeah. um somebody i don't care if it's one or two listeners somebody to listen and be like you know because i listen to this person talk about this you know eating disorder or just anything it like it, it makes me smile like i had a conversation with um, a lot of people from reality tv like mm -hmm. brother mtv challenge um one of the guys it was netflix the mole he's a paramedic slash firefighter and i didn't realize how strong mental health is in that type of job until oh, right. you know when i talk to different people and stuff they do it makes me like like feel real good that they have a conversation i love having a conversation yeah, bro. Um, yeah, you're so funny. You touched on something that I wanted to talk about. Like, um, one of the things that I witnessed with my own eyes on yeah. numerous occasions, um, and I think that it has played a role in my own mental health, is you talk about black men and the stigma of black men yeah. as it relates to mental health. Well, let's talk about black the black diet, what we eat. Not just what we eat, but let's stick, let's start with let's start there. And what I've come to realize is that, you know, it's easy to, to justify this because it's, it's become part of the culture. But so many of the things that we eat are counterintuitive to our health, our physical health and our mental health. And they become normalized. They're celebrated. And in some regards, it's poisonous. Yeah. And so what it is, is we're comforting ourselves a lot of times with the foods that we with the food choices we make we are um compromising our cognitive skills we are uh demonstrating things to our children that will eventually lead to challenging their mental health and their physical health and um i think it's important to for me to say this which is that i've witnessed personally People dealing with challenges such as ADHD, dealing with challenges such as depression, um, change their diet, give up packaged foods, and change their lives. I've witnessed people go on diets that are counterintuitive to everything I've ever learned. I watched a person go on and uh, go on a carnivore diet. This person only ate steak and eggs. That was it. Oh, wow. I was like, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. That's silly. Transformed them. Their mental health transformed. Um, I've witnessed people uh, do fasting. There's, uh, there's all kinds of things. But Was it a scramble or it was like a boil egg? However they wanted. They would do a okay. scramble. They do it. Yeah, they do it all kinds of ways. And they put a bunch of butter in it too. It was the craziest thing I'd seen. It was the craziest thing I'd seen. I, it was counterintuitive everything I've ever learned. Because I spent years being a vegan. That that right there got me back to eating meat. 
And um, and so what I want to say is, is that identify that just because you eat it, just because it's available over the counter, just because everyone else is eating it, does not mean that it is not po- that it isn't poisonous and harmful. And particularly in the United States of America, because we're just allowed to put a lot more chemicals in our food. Yeah. And again, it's it's normalized. So my point being, uh, if you can do anything for yourself, you want to take a really good step in the direction of like challenging your mental health. It doesn't mean that you can just bypass medication or anything like that. I'm just saying, if you take yourself seriously, if you have any understanding of what it means to prioritize yourself, and I understand that most of us do not. Yeah. Consider diet. Consider healthier choices. Consider that you may just be self-medicating with the choice with the food choices you make. And I'll give you a quick shortcut. Bread, rice, pasta, sweet drinks. If you cut that by 70-80%, you will have withdrawal just like a crackhead. <laughs> but but within a week and you get over the, you get over that hump, you will feel amazing. And I'm not saying it will cure anything. I'm yeah. just saying you will have relieved your liver of such an incredibly taxing burden simply by eliminating the things that contribute to fatty liver and complicate the digestive process. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> that true. <laughs> I've experienced that. It's true. Um, my next question, right? We know that you are an amazing actor, man. Um, Thank you're you. a great actor. But I want to talk about something that you've been in that I personally love. Million Little Things. Um mm-hmm. That show, I'm gonna say that show, right, <laughs> has touched on so many stuff that happened to me. You know, suicide. You know, suicide attempts. You know, I lost a, I lost two friends to suicide. Um, suicide attempts. You know, sexual abuse. You know, a lot of stuff that's happened on the show. Um, how did you prepare to go into that character role? Uh, you lose a lot. You lose a lot of sleep. Okay. No, how I prepared though was I, I. I did a lot of reading. Okay. And I was already on that page. I've been doing Tijuana Jackson, this therapy center business since 2000, online since 2010, right? Ready, ready. Um, Yeah, yeah. So I, I was already in, the, the, the character's name is Rome because the writer wrote it uh, with me in mind. Okay, I saw the comparison of the, I, I, I okay, no, I, I, okay. Yeah. I was wondering. And so, yeah, and so, uh, and so all of that to say, Uh, I did a lot of reading, particularly on male depression, and did a lot of listening, particularly with uh, a suicide prevention um, uh, team in Los Angeles, and then just started referring to a lot of books that I had read in the past. And what was interesting was talking to people. So like you talk to doctors. Yeah. And they would articulate things and you're like, of course. And I didn't even think of that. But like there was this one doctor at UCLA and he was like, well, you have to understand that, you know, say a black person uh, who sits here in our, uh, 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 on the socioeconomic ladder, 
interpretation of happiness may be very different from a Caucasian person who sits here on the socioeconomic ladder interpretation of happiness. And like, I'm like, of course, of course. Um, but it just never really had thought of it in that way, right? And um, uh, oh yeah, and like I'll tell you, uh, uh, the dip reading, reading uh, different books, like I Don't Wanna Talk About It was mind, that book was mind blowing, like 30, 40 cases of just men dealing with depression. Um, uh, and yeah, and talking to people were, what I got from it as far as preparation for me was, I got a, an empathy that I didn't have before. And I, de and I developed uh, a, an understanding that I didn't have before and began to realize that there was nothing to fix. And I thought that was important because we have this kind of like one and done mentality where you can fix things. And it's not that you fix anything. People think of themselves as broken and they have to fix themselves. And what I've come to realize, it's not that you're broken, it's that you are a puzzle and the pieces have been scattered. Yeah. And it's our job throughout life, our entire life, to constantly put those pieces in the right places. They're all there. Yeah. Putting the pieces in the right places. And so that being said, um, you know, that, mentality that understanding made me realize it's not about fixing it's about regulating and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter i don't care if you are just you know a hothead i don't care if you are a person dealing with depression i don't care if you are a person who is uh on the spectrum yeah. neurodivergent when it all boils down to it it is about m managing it is about self-regulation and much of that stems from awareness and acceptance, right? And it's like, damn, I felt so stupid having that revelation, but it was probably the best piece of, 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 of preparation I could uh, 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 take on for the character because yeah. then I approached the character with a completely different empathy. I didn't approach the character like this character, this hero is going to fix the problem and solve himself. No, I took it as, okay, we're dealing with today. Yeah. And how many wins am I going to have? And how many L's am I going to take? You know what I mean? One day. And, yeah. um, and, and, and actually that became part of the dialogue where it was like, you know, you know, today is today. And then if you're lucky, they'll be tomorrow. Yeah. And, you know, and Ben, yeah. And so anyway, that's how I prepared, bro. I had to educate myself for real, for real. And then also just because as you educate yourself, you begin to realize, oh, wow, I grew up around a lot of people who are dealing with a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And um, I was raised by people who were also dealing with this stuff. And so, oh, stuff. Oh, snap. And um, that was very sobering. And just I started understanding that it was a huge responsibility. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do the job. But once I really started reading it and understanding it, I was worried that the wrong person, that it would end up in the hands of the wrong person. You know, the person who thought there was something that could be fixed. You know what I'm saying? Or the person who thought that, you know, you know, you could snap out of it. I was like, oh Lord, that could, that could do more damage than good. Yeah. Listen, I'll tell you, when watching that show, I cried so, so many times. <laughs> a lot of people that don't watch it, they be like, they just don't want to go down that right because of, you know, mental health reasons. But watching that show, man, I cried. And I'm pretty sure like 
the role that you play wrong that you know it was black men out there that you know was able to speak up about their own mental health you know i seen like stuff in the youtube comments like you know the little clip videos i see stuff, yeah. stuff like that you know yeah, and wow. i think you did an amazing like you did amazing man all y'all did amazing that was a good show you know i know it ended but it was like a great show and i love how y'all touched on mental like just mental health just like different life issues like everything that y'all touched on like i was thankful for that show that show has helped me you know want to get better you know want to stay here that show uh, amazing yeah man props to dj nash for coming up with that show and for insisting over two and a half years that I do the show, even though I kept saying, nah, man, that ain't for me, man. Nah, bro. Hey, kudos to that brother for like insisting that um yeah, that I play that role because it was a big is a big blessing in my life. It has really helped with my Tijuana Jackson character yeah. in the sense that more people came looking for it, but also in the sense that I've developed a deeper empathy and a and a better understanding of what these mental health challenges can do. Man, it's you know, it's been a, it's been an amazing experience, and um, five seasons is a long time. And kudos to uh, Aaron Kaplan and DJ Nash for for championing a show like that. Yeah. At a time that it was unheard of. That's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. Because I think I didn't watch it when it first came out. I just saw it on Hulu. Let me get us a little chance and stuff like that. And I was the first episode, I was just like, wow, this is like, I'm watching this, this is my show. But <laughs> a lot of people I knew didn't watch it because I guess like some stuff is triggering the people, they don't want to watch it. But me, I didn't care if I was depressed, or I was suicidal, or whatever. I made sure I watched that show at home or at work. It didn't matter whatsoever. No, it, it, yo, yo, you know, it's mad funny too, man. Um, like a milestone for me in that show was when the first season came out, Joe Budden tweeted 10 minutes into a million little things and I got to hit pause. (laughs) That's a big deal for me because he speaks and has the ear of the people that I so desperately want to reach. Yeah. And I've been doing TJ for young brothers who came up like me yeah. since 1999. I've been doing it online, my, my character online since 2011 because of the young brothers who grew up in environments like me yeah. and have no reference yeah. for how to cope. And so to see Joe Budden saying that to his audience, yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, And I know there's a bunch of other big Hollywood yeah. stars who've given the show props, but for me, Joe Budden, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. A dude that, a dude whose bars I could genuinely respect, um, doing that was a big deal. Yeah. Um, my next question for you, right, is um and, and so also, and thank you. Thank you so much for <laughs> speaking on behalf of and 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 representing our show. And I know that when you discovered it on Hulu, let me think about this. So we didn't make it to Hulu right away, right? So so you caught it you caught it like when it was in its second season, but you started watching it from the first season. Am I yeah. wrong? Yeah, first yeah. yeah. Oh man, even better. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> keeping you keeping you keeping hope alive. Thank you. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that I, it was it was crazy. I think I just was soon, I was going through X. And I always got a TV message, and I'd be like, ask my friends, like, do you watch the show? They'd be like, no, I never watched it. And I was like, oh, y'all should watch it. It's a good show. But I think, like, you know, Joe Button said that first episode, <laughs> he had the first call. <laughs> People get past it, but yeah, man. you know, I lived through that stuff, so it was easy for me to, you know, go through. Like I said, I shed a lot of tears, like especially the last episode. <laughs> Hey man, b- bless you for being able to like connect with your emotions and take ownership of your emotions. Because to me, man, that 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 that's real humanity. Yeah, it's it's one of the reasons that people become so apathetic yeah. is that they are just completely disconnected from their own emotions. So they don't know how to they don't know how to process their own emotions much as someone else's. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Next question: um, What are some good coping skills you could recommend to someone that's struggling with their mental health? Yeah, well, one of them straight up was what I talked about, right? So we talk about this part a lot um, at the Nairpe Center. And I'll tell you something. I'm going to say some things here that a lot of people uh, may may not agree with, but I'm completely comfortable with that. And one of them was, yes, diet, believe it or not. Another thing is what we, you and I have talked about is talking. Yeah. Literally, it's putting yourself in an environment where you are welcome to voice. Yeah what you are feeling can be so liberating, can be so freeing. You can take so much off your shoulders, just talking. Hell, you know what? Call TJ, dog. Call 954-228-8380 uh, and talk to TJ. I'm, de- I'm dead serious. And the reason I say this is because talk to somebody, talk to the homie, yeah. talk to the home girl. And the reason I say this is because I understand that not everyone is responsible enough to deal with your genuine emotions. Yeah. But talking in areas or in, in support groups specifically <clears throat> will help change your perspective so much. Because um, I'll tell you, man, isolation is a silent killer. Right? Yeah. So... Uh, that's why I give you so much uh, 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 kudos, by the way, my brother. Uh, these support groups are just, they really are everything. And so coping mechanisms, so talking, support groups, watching what you eat is another one. It's huge. But you know what else too, man? It's like, people don't do this. But one of the most transformative experiences I've ever had in my life, and I continue to do it because it was so transformative, is exercising the courage to do absolutely nothing. So what does that mean? It means, okay, I'll give you, let me, let me, should I I do this? You know what? I'll I'll spare y'all all all the drama and let me just give you the gist of it. And it is that if you wanted to quit smoking, science has established that changing your environment, like trying to quit smoking in on vacation is way better. And the reason is because you no longer have the social cues that trigger you to pop a cigarette. Yeah. So if you really want to change your life, understand that a lot of the choices you're making on a daily basis are really cravings for stimulants, whether it's endorphins or whatever. Sometimes it's even cortisol. Some people feel significant when in drama. (laughs) Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, so if you really want to, if you really want to break those patterns, exercising the courage to do absolutely nothing, take yourself 
away from your immediate environment. You could just go to the beach or you could go to the forest and sit in your car, park, sit in your car. No phone, no podcast, no radio, no tag-alongs. And just sit with yourself from sun up to sundown. Wow. Let me tell you something. I've heard all kinds of names for it. I started doing it back in 2004. Oh, that's, that's a lot. I started doing it in 2002. And um, why it's so transformative is, is, is a number of things. So all the, the, the urges to engage in external stimulant, they end up being neglected. So I gradually wean myself off of those things in that process. Also, um, the desire to eat junk and stuff, it can't happen because I'm damn near fasting, right? Yeah. Picking up the phone, no distractions. So guess what I end up doing? I ended up sitting still with myself. And guess what happens then? I then demonstrate to every cell in my body yeah. that I know how to make me the priority. And most of the people that I talk to, I'd say 99% of the people I talk to don't even know what that looks like. They don't even know what it, what it feels like to be a priority. They were never prioritized by their parents. They were never prioritized by their peers. And they don't prioritize themselves. They prioritize everyone else but them. Kind of like what your therapist told you you were doing. Yeah. Right? So sitting still is an, from sunup to sundown, undistracted with you and only you, is a direct demonstration, an immediate demonstration to every cell every part of your cellular makeup that you are in fact a priority. That in itself is transformative. But aside from that, at the Nerapy Center, we are firm believers that the brain can become tainted, but the mind remains pure. Yeah. And when you sit still long enough, you allow the brain and the mind to connect. And the mind will filter and clear and heal the brain. Because the brain's out there trying to get accepted, trying to get, prove it's smart, trying to prove it's right and all this other stuff. And the mind just sitting there in the corner at the party just observing the whole situation like this fool won't shut up. <laughs> yeah. Right? He's observing not just you, he's observing everything. He's got the 360. Yeah. And when you sit still long enough, you begin to refresh and refine your intuition and regain the trust in that intuition. So you want a coping mechanism this cold? Sun up the sundown meditation. Ain't no discipline. You just got to sit there undistracted. I dare you to do it. And, and I want to say something real quick. I meant to say before you started that, you know, his coping skills, my coping skills may not work for everybody, but there's some coping skills out there that work for someone. Because I know not every not everything works for everybody. Trust me, I'm a firm believer in it. But um, my next question for you, right? Um, the last one, somebody's listening to this episode right now, right? What can you tell them why it's important that they put their mental health first? You know, a lot of us, we put other people first, you know, we don't put ourselves first, but like, why is it important that we must put our mental health first? Okay. Good question. Um, so look, God, I, I know I keep referring to the therapy center, but dude, okay, that's okay. The, the reason is because I do this every day. Yeah. When I get off with you, I'm going to put on my teeth and my suit and my tie and my glasses, and I'm going to do a therapy session, yeah. <laughs> right? And so, uh, look, man, a lot of people come to me, and one of the common threads in their life is yeah. they're dealing with two things. They're stuck. Yeah. They're stuck. And the other thing that they're dealing with is that they're unfulfilled. Yeah. Right? And... 
I can give you three reasons right now that those things usually occur. It doesn't apply to everybody, but these may apply to you. Yeah. The first reason is we're so disconnected from the dysfunction and the pain that the dysfunction of our upbringings have caused. We're so disconnected from it and how it has influenced us to have major senses of inadequacy, yeah. how it has influenced us to believe that we are unworthy of happiness or unworthiness of, unworthy of peace or undeserving of peace and happiness and fulfillment and success, however you define it. We don't make the correlation between the experiences we may have had throughout our childhood and dysfunctional upbringings yeah. to what we have now. So as a result of that, we, we exclude ourselves from things. We self-sabotage ourselves from great opportunities because deep down inside, the quiet voice in us is convincing us that we're not worthy. We are not capable. And much of that negative internal dialogue, that, that negative internal voice stems from a heap of dysfunction that we've completely overlooked and disregarded. Wow. So that one thing kind of segues into the next thing, which is that the lack of fulfillment that we often feel stems from the fact that we can't be specific in what it is that we want. And the reason that we can't be specific in what it is that we want is because we can't be specific in what it is we have to give. Yeah. And the reason we can't be specific about what it is we have to give is because we haven't stopped to genuinely understand ourselves. We haven't stopped to assess, to do a, a emotional inventory and understand what I was saying in the, the first point that I made, how the dysfunction in our lives has influenced our perspective, our outlook and the way we navigate the world today. So when you don't understand that, how can you be specific in what you have to give? You don't know you. That's why Socrates says, an unexamined life is a life not worth living because you're destined to suffering if you don't understand that. I read a book. The book said that you are not an adult if you don't understand the emotional limitations of your parents. I was like, well, damn, if that's how you feel. And so that's two, that, 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 that's two reasons. And the third thing is why we feel stuck and unfulfilled is a lot of times many of us are neurodivergent and undiagnosed. Or we've been raised in environments where people were neurodivergent and undiagnosed. So those three things right there are extremely common in our communities. Yeah. And so the reason that it's important to prioritize your mental health is because you may be suffering from one or all three or some other thing that is inhibiting you from experiencing your best life, your fullest life, your most satisfying life. Yeah. And it's only until you do that that you can actually go and be of service to other people and experience fulfillment and experience genuine happiness and experience the joy of being of service and experience real success. As my man TJ would say, boss. So, um, yeah, man. Uh, um, 
and 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 so that's the reason it's important to prioritize your health. And 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 lastly, because of the fact that ultimately a lot of us are looking for love. We want to be together. We want to we we want this fulfilling marriage or whatever it is. Well, believe it or not, if you are incapable of addressing your own psychological mental, I'm actually making a video on this right now. Mental and psychological issues. Um, you are. If you are emotion, you want an emotionally stable relationship, but you're an emotionally unstable person, it don't add up. The point to coming together is to create an environment in which children can be encouraged to have a voice, be encouraged to to try and experiment and 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 and, and experience total acceptance in in their communication and have their feelings validated. And if you haven't done that for you, it's going to be very difficult for you to extend that type of courtesy and that type of uh, 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 skill set to to children, right? And so that's a big part of uh, of relationships, and that is why. It's important to prioritize your mental health. That's why it's important to dive into your shit and get a deeper understanding of you because it's through your deeper understanding of you that you become a tool for other people to heal. Yeah. And also to love you. And, and the other crazy thing, and the last thing I'll say is when you start diving in to really who you are, you get to this thing of, oh, wow. You start realizing all the shit people have put up with your real loved ones, <laughs> how they have dealt with you. And you can appreciate them on a deeper level. You can experience yeah. more gratitude and in experiencing more gratitude, you open up way more doors. Bro. So that's why it's important to prioritize your mental health. And I know all my answers is long, but that's because- It's okay. It's okay. Right? That's because they had to be. Yeah. And I always say that you got to put your mental health first because no one's going to put your mental health first like you are. You can't help, like you say, you can't help people when yeah. you're not, your cup is not full. You know, you can't, you can't. I I tried to do it, and trust me, it does not work, ladies. No, and man. Exactly. <laughs> it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Anything. I get up and do therapy sessions every single day, but at the same time, I'm constantly bringing and introducing new exercises into my family, into my relationship, yeah. because we come from real dysfunction. We come from that real dysfunction. You know what I'm talking about. We come from real dysfunction, and so. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way for us to have a healthy union and be to be a team yeah. without constantly reevaluating, reassessing and learning new things, reading new things, you know, and just before we close out, I just want to pass this on to a few people because I think it's important. Here go a couple of reads that I think are very important for a lot of us. One of the reads that I think is important is a book titled Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents oh, wow. by, by Dr. Lindsay Gibson is her name. Um, I think it's an important book to read. Um, I think it, it words things well. It doesn't only provide you with the problem, but it actually provides you with action steps and tools that you can utilize uh, to cope and uh, to to to, uh, to better improve your circumstances. Because a lot of us are in the condition that we are today because of our parents' emotional uh, immaturity, their emotional shortcomings. And our parents' emotional shortcomings are in, in direct relation to their parents' emotional shortcomings quite often. And we haven't even talked about society and what it means to be black in the United States of America. Yeah. And the further back generations you go, the worse it gets. And that has an emotional and psychological toll as well. So um, that book's great to read. Another, another book that I would recommend is called, it's titled um, The Body, let, let, let me make sure I got the author right. Body Keeps the Score. The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah. You, you, read, you, you read the book, right? Um, I, did, I listened to a little bit on audio, um, Audible, but... Um... A lot of people, a lot of people like that deals with trauma and sexual abuse, they always recommend that book. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh God, right out the gate, he's talking about the Vietnam vets. I'm like, whoa, like the experiment with the dogs. It's like, listen, listen, I'm going to keep it real. I ain't no reading buff, okay? Uh, But these books have impacted my life significantly. Yeah. Um, and that book is there, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der, van der Kolk, Dr. Uh, Bessel van der Kolk. Re, re, hey, man. I tried to get him on my podcast, but he was busy. I went up, really wanted him on. He's like dope. Like, oh, but, man. Yeah. He, you're absolutely right, man. And I love how he straight up refers to himself as me, an immigrant in America, in his book, right? Like, I love that because of the fact that we allow, you know, here in America, we kind of allow uh uh, me- uh medicine to kind of take precedence over uh our spirituality yeah. and here we had this guy understanding that spirituality plays a huge role in mental health and i was like god dang it finally you know he's bringing a perspective that's outside of this of this this money driven uh system that we have here in the united states of america so anyway uh the, the those are two books that i heavily uh uh uh, recommend, um, and I'm, I'm I'm looking into I'm going to the therapy center and looking into um, some of the books that we have on you know on our on our site to see if there's anything else that I'm overlooking. Bear with me one second. What was the book that you mentioned earlier about Terrence? What was his name? Terrence? Oh, uh, Doctor Terrence Real. It's titled um, it's titled I Don't Want to Talk About It. Okay, I'm definitely yeah to... yeah I don't want to talk about it by by Doctor Terrence Real. Cold, 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 cold book. And um, there are others. There's a great book titled You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. Now, I've read that book 30 times. And there's revised versions of it and all that. Louise Hay was raped at the age of seven years old by her neighbor uh, repeatedly. And anyway, her story and the things that she's done to to help others, but also just to heal herself is incredible. And um, I would definitely recommend that book. And um, then there are other books, like uh, a book titled The New Psycho-Cybernetics. You would want to get the more updated version of the book, but it is a very incredible book. Uh, It's a very informative and helpful book in the sense that it really helps you understand how ultimately the outcome of your experiences is in direct relation to your self-image. So what that means is, how you see yourself, what you are experiencing in your life, for better or for worse, whether yeah. you want it or not, is a direct reflection of your self-image. It is the immaculate conception of your self-image. And if you want to experience different, you have to work on changing your self-image. Yeah. I've read that book about 30 times. I definitely added two of them books to my um, to my um, Amazon card. Definitely. All right, thank you, my brother. Can you hold on for one second? This might yeah. be Apple Care, and that's, that's my lifeline. Hold on. Hello? Hey, hi, David. You you on you on mute. <laughs> you on mute, my bad. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. My thank you. My 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 my, my uh, computer was broken. I, we were just in Bali, and uh, 
the, the, the uh, 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 housekeeper tried to close my computer while I had a hard drive sitting on it and just broke the screen. So it's all good now. Anyway, rambling. Sorry, forgive me. So yeah, those four books. You there? I put I've added some of them books to my um cart, but I just want to um say thank you for saying yes again. Thank you. This is you're actually going to be my 100th episode. You know, I'm celebrating 100 episodes. Didn't think I could do it with all these talks about mental health. I think people, you know, I let anybody come on, like my personal friends, therapists. I had pastors come on. Anybody is welcome to come on to the podcast. But I want to thank you for saying yes, you know, I've been, I've been trying hard to get, you know, tackle different fields, you know, reality TV stars, actors, football players, like whoever I can get, I just try. And I just want to thank you for, you know, taking the time out of your day and just coming on. Well, I got a couple of questions for you and I got a couple of things to say too. One is, you know, thank you for having me. Um, yeah. You know, I, I normally would be like, oh, I don't, you know, but um, now I, I talk to people every day. Yeah. I literally, I put on, I put, I put these teeth in my mouth. I put these teeth right here. I know no one's gonna see this. I put these teeth in my mouth. I put on these shades right here. I change my whole swag on them, right? I do all this shit. I do it every day. I'm like, why can't I talk to a brother who's doing positive things for mental health? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I think that now that I'm not doing the show anymore and I'm leaning more into just doing my TJ shit because I'm kind of basically in a soft retirement, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Raising my two-year-old boy, it's my friggin' pleasure. It's what I want to do. Yeah. And so, uh, thank you, thank you for having me. And also, I want to ask you: you have any books you want to recommend? Um, oh, it was a book called Echoes by Robert Marshall Jr. That is a dope book. It's a book on um, everybody. Uh, I told you it was different authors in it that have been through sexual abuse. That is a dope book. Um, maybe I should mention this: I have a short book out my, about my life story called "From Trauma to Triumph." on Amazon. It's a short book, you know, about my story. You know, I forget sometimes that I'm an author. But um that's out. Okay. Um, um a book I got it right here. Max Nakado, You'll Get Through This is a good book. That's definitely a good book. You'll get through this. You'll get through this. Yeah, that's a definitely a good book. I read that before. And I think, you know, Body Keeps the Score, you know, we said that over. That's a dope book. I got the, it's crazy because I had the book for a long time, didn't read it, but I'm just an audible person. I could just listen and just get what a person is saying. You know, yeah. that book is long. That book is very long. <laughs> so help help me with Echoes because I'm I'm on Amazon and Echoes isn't coming up. Echoes by Robert Marshall Jr. Jr. Yep. Okay, let, let me just look for it outside of Amazon, like Amazon, the only place to sell books. Huh. Damn. Okay, do me a favor. Yes. There it is. Good reads. Echoes. The stories of male survivors overcoming sexual. Boom. Yeah. Got him. Got him. Will do. Yeah. So it's um, echoes. Yeah, by um Robert Marshall. That's a good book. It's all. It's like when I tell you. When I read that book and I was like, thought I was the only one that went through that stuff. Some people had it way worse than me, like way worse. Like a lot of people get their names in the book and their stories. It's like one story. I think that's anonymous. Like oh, they've been, they was molested so many times, like by a friend as a girl, a friend as a guy. That yeah. um, um it, I had to put that book. You know how you said that Jehovah had to push pause on the TV show? I had to push pause on that book for a minute because it was like a lot, like a wow. lot. I was like, hold on, this is like, after, and it made me feel like, Damn, I'm like, damn, I would like, you know, I'll be in my own stuff, you know, but a lot of people had it way worse than me, you know? 
Yeah, no, you know, it's crazy too, man, because um, you know, I had to I had to deal with with a lot of that when I was a kid as well, but uh, I have to keep keeping it a full buck. Uh there were so many tragic stories as me growing up. I was just a bit more uh, uh very keen and aware. Yeah. And so um I was able to circumvent most attempts and um and had a younger brother to protect in the process. Yeah. And we talk about that stuff today and be like that was crazy. We'd be at, you know, we'd be at, our parents would be partying yeah. and we'd be in a room with a bunch of kids and like a grown man would come in the room and oh, it was madness. It went, my neighbors, I, it was craziness. And like our parents, Gen X, our parents weren't even in the crib. Our parents weren't even there. So I do understand yeah. that This concept of reading this thing and going, oh, wow, these people had it way worse than me or whatever, can't help. It can't. Because yeah. from the age of 14, people would be like, you got to write a book, bro. Because, you know, I've, I kidnapped my brother at the age of 11 to escape my mom because she was seeing a drug deal. Oh, it's chaos. She had kidnapped us first. Oh, I got so much drama to tell you. But the point is, is that um, people would always be like, oh, you should write a book. You should write a book, man. Your stuff is so crazy. But I, and I, I would always say from the age of around 14, yeah. I know so many people who've got it so much worse than me. And it just, it wasn't to undermine my own situation. It wasn't to say that my experience or your experience is any less than, it's all relative. But what it did do was, it just gave me perspective. Yeah. But, hold on. 